coming up on Life is a Festival. I used festivals as a vehicle to do it because they provide you with a space to do it. They have some money for you, often very little. I would take every cent they had and often blow the budget just to create what I wanted to see and show other people, you know, and then, you know, got people's attention. They were like, holy shit, that's amazing. Like, let's, let's pay real money for that kind of thing, you know, like it has real value. Uh, so I used that space as a vehicle. So, you know, apply, apply to festivals, submit a proposal. Often you're going to get 20% of the, of the expected cost. So take what you think it's going to cost and then try and make it for 20% of that because that's what they, that's what you're going to get. And um, it doesn't need to be huge. Scale isn't everything. It can be powerful and small. So you can start off small, start off with the concept. You'll, you build from there. And so it's, I guess it is a, a, thing, a lot of people look at what I do and like, how the fuck do you do that? You know, it's like, you know, saying, it's like, how do you eat an elephant? You know, it's like one bite at a time. My name is Eamon Armstrong, and this is Life is a Festival. This podcast is a celebration of thinkers and leaders who live their lives with the open-hearted, experimental joy of a festival. Each week, we converse in complete openness in an ongoing quest to find those boundaries in our being and melt them into lofty horizons. Life is a festival, only to the wise. Hello, my fellow travelers. Welcome back to Life is a Festival, which is the only podcast that I host. Actually, that's not true. I host two podcasts. It's the only podcast where life is a festival. I don't even know if that's true. I feel like maybe there are other podcasts where people are acting as if life is a festival. Well, it's the only podcast that you are listening to right now in this moment, unless you're multitasking. I don't know. Anyway, welcome to Life is a Festival. Well, we've been talking a lot about psychedelics, mental health, and healing, and I thought you might want a bit of a break. Before we get started, thanks to everyone who's been dropping by my Saturday Clubhouse room. So Life is a Festival has a club on Clubhouse called Life is a Festival, and I'm doing a room every week. It is Saturday morning on the West Coast at 10 a.m., and we do sometimes we do some guests, sometimes we do some group rooms where we just talk. We recently did a thank you plant medicine room. Went on for like three hours, and it was lovely. If you don't have Clubhouse and would like to, and you're on an iPhone, just send me a DM on Instagram, and I will send you an invite. I think they're making it for Android now too. But in any case, come on by. It kind of feels like a bit of like a church or maybe like a Saturday morning cartoons or I don't know, I love it. And I'm gonna be doing it every Saturday morning. So come on by. Also, if you have not yet completed the Life is a Festival survey, please do. I'm going to wrap it soon, maybe at the end of this month, maybe a little bit later, but you can access that at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash festival dash survey. And your feedback means a lot to me. And in fact, I'm incorporating it already. How am I doing that? Well, there have been a couple requests for big art. Y'all want me to chat with people who make large art installations. So I thought, who better to talk to than my friend, the South African large-scale multidisciplinary installation artist, Daniel Popper. So um, you're probably familiar with his work. He's done a number of festivals, Electric Forest, Boom, 
Africa Burn, EDC, these really big luminous beings. Probably saw the one in Tulum all over Instagram where a woman is holding open her chest with a sort of like leafy green passageway. Anyway, his art has become extraordinarily popular in the past few years and we talk about that on the show. So on the podcast, we go deep into Daniel's creative process how does someone make big art? We discuss Instagram culture and Disney World and how to build with bronze. Um, and finally, Daniel gives his advice to young artists. So Daniel is a South African large-scale installation artist. Um, he's produced iconic pieces for many festivals around the world, as well as other corporate events and hotels. And his big art pops up everywhere. His next project is the Human Plus Nature Exhibition in Chicago that's opening this April. You'll hear more about that on the show. And um, we are going to see a lot of great work from him. So now, without further ado, here is Daniel Popper. Daniel, welcome to Life is a Festival. Do you do a lot of podcasts these days? You've been getting a lot of recognition lately. I do I do get a lot of requests for them, but I try I'm trying to limit them to to like one a month. Okay. You know, initially I was like, sure, I'll chat to, you know, whoever. And I found a lot of them to just be like redundant. It's just people trying to get content and I'm getting so busy, you know, I'm so full on with my work. So I actually it was just like, you know, I have to be very selective of who we talk to and limit it to like one a month. All right. Well, one a month is still pretty generous. You know, I, I think that people want to hear about you and about how you're making this fantastic big art all over the world. I know I, know I certainly am, and, and I already know you. I already know things about you, and I still want to know more. Sure. I guess a lot of people are interested. I, 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 I'm still curious. I feel like, you know, why do people want to interview me? I, I feel like I'm st- I still uh, don't know what I'm doing, but I guess, uh, <laughs> I guess there is some stuff to share, so... Whatever I can, I will. What I'm thinking of here, Daniel, is that you make beautiful things in the world, big beautiful things in the world. And I think there are a lot of people listening to this podcast who would like to make beautiful things in the world. And how you kind of get your foot in the door, how you got in to be able to create what you create, how that builds, how you move into new mediums. These kinds of questions I think would be really ve- relevant to other creators, even if they're not like yourself, yeah. large-scale art installers. What is the name of what you do? Are you a sculptor? Are you a large installation builder? Um, yeah, I guess. I don't know. I, honestly, I, 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 I would say installation artist, large-scale installation artist, large-scale sculptor. I don't know. I, well, well, I will call you all of those things intermittently during our conversation today. So we met at Boom in Portugal, and the theme that year was the shamanic cycle, and you built the Boom Shaman, which was this enormous, gorgeous shaman, and then your colleague Wayne Ellis was projecting mapping onto it. There were ceremonies that were happening at the base of it. And I just remember being, I'd, I was familiar with your work. I've been familiar with your work for a while. But it was the first time I'd seen one of your pieces in person. And it was very impressive. And I'm curious, when you were asked by Boom, did they say, hey, we want, we want you to create a shaman, do what you want with it? Or did they kind of collaborate with you on it? No, I think the, the years previous, I was doing, so we did, my first year at Boom was in 2012, and I did... Uh, 
these big dragons for the dance temple. And then in 2014, we created these sort of feminine portals for the dance floor. Uh, and so then moving in to that third year, to the third edition, I sort of wanted to not be a part of the dance floor itself. I wanted to be separate. So that was like my only request and such a, a great relationship with those guys that that was pretty much up to me. So they were like, do whatever you want. Relationships are so important in this world. You know, as you were just describing, mm-hmm. you make a piece of art, they love it, they invite you back, you do something a little bigger, eventually get, you get your own space, and then soon enough you're making a boom shaman. Exactly, yeah. So that, they, they really did give me that space, you know, and it's uh, something I'm extremely grateful for. You know, they, they gave me the space, they gave me the opportunity, and I, I took full advantage of that, you know. Awesome. Well, I loved that piece. And actually, the first piece that I ever was aware of of yours was Reflections 2013, which was from Africa Burn. And it's a guy with his big old hands laying on the Tonkwa Karoo floor. And when I was working at Fest 300 and we were looking for images to represent all the different festivals around the world, that's the one that we chose for Africa Burn because it was so... So striking. So that was my first experience with your work. And I think that that was one of your first really big kind of eye-catching ones. Is that the case? Yeah, it was. Yeah, definitely. When did you first decide that you wanted to make large-scale art? I mean, I guess, you know, it was, there was never like a clear like day that I woke up. It's like, this is the life I'm going to have, you know. It was more just a curiosity from project to project. And, you know, when Africa Burn started in South Africa, that's when my mind started to think about creating objects in big landscapes. And in order for them to have an impact, that obviously for me, scale was important. So that was that, was that sort of beginning of like, okay, scale in, in open landscapes and how does, that, how does that look, you know, how does that work? So that was the beginning of, of that transition. And then... Every year, every Africa Burn, Burning Man, for example, you know, would be, my, I would sit and be like, what am I, what, what would I want to create in this space next? That makes sense for you because right. your pieces are so much about place. You know, there's so much about what else is going on. Even like Thrive in Fort Lauderdale has the way it fits in its space is really interesting. The stuff you've done in Tulum with the greenery, kind of the plants coming inside of these sculptures, they, they really are all extraordinarily well-framed in the actual space that they're in. So that, yeah, that's the, you know, the thing is, is um, what's interesting is the, a lot of the process is about the space first. So they're like custom works for the space rather than me creating something and finding somewhere to put Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And that makes sense in the context of like having done a lot of work in festivals too, because festivals are such place spaces. They're kind of create a magical wonderland, and one of your enormous pieces is part of that wonderland's creation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. So, did you grow up in Cape Town? Yeah. And were you an artist when you were little? Were you like drawing? I mean, I guess we all kind of drew a bit when we were little, but was art like a big part of your life while you were growing up? Yeah, for sure. It was always a part of my life. I was always sort of drawing and interested in creating art and actually studied art in in university and college and majored in, in painting. That was like my sort of interest. And I 
was nearly heading towards trying, like, you know, back then, it was a different sort of world, you know, different, you know, things things were just different without social media and the internet and becoming an artist as a career had certain, it was a different roadmap in a way. So, you know, at some, at one point in university, I was, you know, I was looking at potentially exploring a career as a painter. Mm. Things change. Things, and things change. Is there any techniques out of your time painting and studying art? Are there any things that you learned at that time that are still really present in your creation of art today? I would say, I, would say I, I definitely, I mean, it was, you know, I think it's like first year of college, you study figure drawing, like life drawing. And then for some reason in like, yeah, out of the four years that you study it, like when you go into year two, that's like up off the table. And then the sort of deeper you get into, into art, you, you, you major in a particular thing. But the sort of life drawing, that was just like an introduction into like, you know, thing. And then, but I, re- I was like, this is not just an introduction. I was like, this is your foundation and this has to be something that you do for the rest of your life. So, like, I continued to do figure drawing classes outside of university. And I did it for, like, four to five, four years, five years, drawing, you know, life drawing classes. That's something I still do. Well, yeah, and it makes sense because so much of your work are figures. I mean, they're giant, but the contours and the shapes of the beings that you create, there's a real flow to them. They look really you know, human. They look very like the musculature. Yeah, yeah. They 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 have a physicality that I think it makes sense that you had spent that much time like working on on creating mm. in that way, and and also I think probably seeing in that way because it shows up in your art a lot. I mean, it's still like a never end. I'm still studying the anatomy. Like, like I can't believe it sometimes. I'm just like, how can you not fucking know this by now? It's just like it's an it's just never ending. Like it's intense. You know, I'm, I'm always looking at anatomical models every day. So w- when you are planning to make a piece, so let's say it starts with like maybe a festival has made an offer, maybe you're returning to a festival, maybe it's a location like some of the spaces you've done in, in Tulum where it's like a club or like a group that's come and approached you. Can you walk us through the process of coming up with what you want to create in that space? I know, I know you start with the physical location, but how does that process unfold? Yeah, so well, it'll start with drawing. I'll sketch, I'll sketch rough sketches, and then you know, if I'm working with a client, we'll do sketches, and then we'll do mood boards, like looking at like textures and feelings. So, for example, like you know, when we did Thrive in Fort Lauderdale, the client obviously we were, he was looking at the rest of my work and being like, "Yeah, can we get something like this?" And I was like, "I want to try something new." I was like, how about we do this, you know? And I'd show him, like, some some texture references, colors and stuff like that. And he was like, okay, okay. And he sort of, like, trusted me along that process and then did some sketches. And then from sketches, once I'm, like, sort of at a place that I'm like, okay, this is, this is a, a foundation to depart, then I'll move into 3D modeling. And so it is quite collaborative with the client, with the festival or with the location. That do they is it collaborative throughout, or do they just kind of like give you some suggestions in the beginning of some things that they want, and then you go from there? It depends on the client. Um, the best clients, like the ones in Fort Lauderdale, were like you know just open to my suggestions at the beginning. There was never any pushback. They were just like, "Your shit's awesome, like do it." And then I would. You know, the further down the line I'd get, like once I'd get the 3D models, like sort of I'd send it to him, I'd be like, what do you think? And he'd just be like, fuck, that's killer. 
you know, keep going and then, you know, to just keep going from there. Other clients can be a little bit more difficult. Okay, so you 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 make a 3D rendered model and then what's what's the next step in terms of bringing people together to actually build the thing? Do you have people you always work with or are there teams that are on location that support you? So I have I have two guys who have been with me for I'd say like the last 10 years understanding the process and the process is constantly evolving and it's constantly got new like because I'm always changing like you know it's now concrete and then it's it's some new material and it's like I wonder if we can do this how would we do that so it's a lot of like R&D so once I've got my 3D model we'll either 3D print it and then reverse engineer it from there or we take it into different kind of software to understand the engineering foundations because it's a big part of it um they'll typically help out with that and then we'd have to outsource an engineer just to like take a look at what we've done to make any suggestions on like all thickness of steel and stuff like that you know and so then once we've got that then it's about understanding the method of fabrication so for example like the pieces in tulum the africa burn piece the boom pieces had a specific method that involved you know, timber and steel and where the foundations are going to be and how to create the sort of organic forms around it. Different projects, like, for example, the Anima project at EDC, I went with a different route where, where I used a glass fiber form, which was, you know, using five axis CNC routing on a large scale and then creating a glass fiber mold, pulling a glass fiber positive out of it, and then creating a surface texture on top of that. So, and then, and then it's how did those pieces all fit together? Because it's got to fit on a, it's got to fit in a container. It's got to fit on a truck. So then there's all of that side of the complication. So where do we, where do we want to chop it up? For example, like anima had to be different pieces, right? So you've got to have your arms, torso, head, face, and it's got to be somehow fit into a container, but you don't want to just like chop it up, you know, like putting it through a bread slicer. Because then you're going to have these lines, you know. So then it's like, okay, cool. Let's figure out if we can cut it nicely around the jawline. So, like, if you look at Thrive carefully, that was, I think, like 12 pieces in total. It was three shipping containers. And I used the design to hide the seams. Mm. So there's a lot of, like, designs that are factored into the design that are actually part of it. And then there's other parts of it where that's actually where it fits together. So you go to the location, you figure it out, you you do the sketch, you make the 3D rendering, then you start building. That Where are you actually building the piece before you ship it to the space? So, so it depends. So I've got two shops. I've got one in Cape Town and one in Hong Kong. And it, and the one in Hong Kong has just got bigger capacity. So like, like if it's something over like 15 feet, say, like five meters, yeah, something over five meters tall, typically you're going to do it over there. If it's smaller than that, then we can do it in Cape Town. So, like right now, we're busy doing a project in Cape Town. It's it's up, just up to 15 feet. We've got, you know, it's it's just about the shop space. You know, it, it just Cape Town doesn't really have the capacity to do to handle such large scale things. Like, you know, we've got a shop there that we use, but once you move out into a, a scale bigger than 15 feet, it's like, okay, now we're gonna go either hire an airport hangar. You know, that's got zero shop space in it. Or we just go to the shop in Hong Kong, get, get stuff done there. And then 
there's a large portion of it that gets done on this on site. So like the Tulum piece, actually, that was built from scratch in Tulum. You've done two pieces in Tulum, right? Uh, Asana and, yeah, then, exactly. and then Benalalus? Yeah, and both of those were done from scratch there in Tulum. I Now that I have a family and stuff like that, I'm not really into spending that much time on something like away. I like to be at home as much as I can. And and home is so, is home Cape Town. I know you're in Boulder at the moment, but where are you? Where are you mainly residing? So we bounced between the US and Cape Town. I think like last year during lockdown, we obviously spent most of the year in Cape Town. So I'd say like last year, Cape Town was home. Then we came over to the US in like November, and we've been here since then. And we we I've got a, a few projects lined up until May. So we're just staying here until May. So we we based in Colorado while I pop around the country. And then we're going to be leaving back to Cape Town and spend the rest of the year, probably longer, based in Cape Town. So Cape Town's home, but again, I'm all over the place. But yeah, I mean, for now, we, we want to base ourselves primarily in Cape Town and spend... I'd just, you know, I'd say seven months of the year there, travel around. Are there other artists who do what you do that have inspired you or that you are super excited about at the moment? I mean, there's some, there's, there's many. Uh, well, I suppose there's not many, but I've got some, you know, some of the, some of the heroes that I just, you know, I don't know if you know, if you're familiar with Jean Plenter's work, he's a French artist, um, cause absolutely just murderous with his large-scale toys. You know, cause the crosses on his eyes, big sort of like Mickey Mouse things. Yeah, so I mean, those two um, artists like Tony Craig, Anthony Gormley, like those guys are just another level. So if someone was interested in making art like you do, what advice would you give to someone who's, you know, has an eye, has some talent, but wants to start getting in the game. Because when you're making large-scale art, you need to be working with a team, you need to be working with you know big clients who can fund it. There's a lot that it takes to get to where you are. So what would you say to someone who wants to get to the place where they're making art like you? How, how might they go about getting started? I mean, you know, I used, I used festivals as a vehicle to do it because they provide you with a space to do it. They have some money for you, often very little. I would take every cent they had and often blow the budget just to create what I wanted to see and show other people, you know, and was doing that and saying like, look at this, you know, we, you know, and then, you know, got people's attention. I was like, holy shit, that's amazing. Like, let's, let's pay real money for that kind of thing, you know, like it has real value. Uh, so I used that space as a vehicle. So it'll probably take another year for festivals to come back online, but they definitely will. And there's a space there. And so like, you know, apply, apply to festivals, submit a proposal. Often you're going to get 20% of the, of the expected cost. So take what you think it's going to cost and then try and make it for 20% of that because that's what, they, that's what you're going to get. And um, it doesn't need to be huge. It doesn't need to be huge. Scale isn't everything. I mean, I've seen, and I'm sure you have too, large-scale works, Burning Man, these guys want to create something huge, you know, all this money, and it's just the concept is shit. And it's like this big mess. So it doesn't need to be big. You've also seen pieces at Burning Man 
like, you know, three feet tall, just absolutely powerful, monumental work, you know. So it doesn't need to be big. It doesn't need to be, you know, this giant thing. It can be powerful and small. So you can start off small, start off with the concept. And I think like, you know, you'll, you build from there. And so it's, you know, it's like, I guess it is a, a, thing, a lot of people look at what I do and like, how the fuck do you do that? You know, it's like, you know, it's like, how do you eat an elephant? You know, it's like one bite at a time, you know, just start off small thing, envision how you want to see it, you know, like if you do a drawing, you know, see, oh, wow, would this look big? How would this look at three feet? How would this look at 10 feet? How would this look at 50 feet, you know? And then obviously, you know, there's this thing in people's minds and egos, so everyone this thing to be huge, you know, as that was definitely a part of my thinking back. I've tried to change, I'm changing my thinking now because now I'm like, how would this look at three feet? Because so many people want pieces for their homes now. So now I'm like kind of moving backwards. I'm like, does this have to be so fucking big? Like, does it? Because I've, I've seen works of art smaller and more impressive. So, you know, scale is impressive, but it doesn't, it's not everything. And so that's definitely something to keep in mind. And um, yeah, and then just start small, start small, start somewhere. You know, I, st- I still suffer from it. You know, it's like I come into the studio and I'm just like, I'm going to do this, you know. And then it's like, okay, listen, let's just take it easy to set yourself a small target for the day. You know, like today I'm going to sculpt a hand. It's one thing. Cool. You know, it takes off all that, you know, stop looking at the whole thing. Just look at like this much and then it suddenly becomes achievable, you know. Mm, I love that, especially with we're talking about such scale. Why do you think your pieces have caught people's imagination so dramatically recently? I feel like... Right now, I see images of your work constantly on Instagram. I, you know, I'm always like, you know, tagging Daniel Popper because people don't really, you know. But I see it. I see. I see all over. What What do you think it is about your work right now that has really captured people's attention? Interesting question. I mean, I don't know. I think that there's there's a couple of things going on in the background. So I think that there's there's something to be said about the exclusivity of art generally like that most people, I would say a good portion, over 90% of the population of the world don't have access. And I mean, I'm talking like intellectual and emotional access to most of the art that is out there in the sort of dominant art world. You know, when you go to like these art fairs, like Freeze, Art Basel, whatever, 90% of the population, I can tell you now, will walk into those spaces and just be like, what the fuck am I looking at? You know, they didn't get a master's degree in fucking, you know, art or anthropology. So they don't know what they're looking at, you know, and it needs to be explained to them. They need to be educated on what they're looking at. So like they're already cut off from what they see. So like, that's, that's definitely something that's happened. I mean, that's, that's part of like my intention is to create something that is accessible to a larger audience. So like, let's not create some weird abstract heavily intellectualized thing that somebody needs a doctorate in order to like connect with like i don't want to do that i don't don't feel like that that's any fun you know uh for me you know there's there's definitely going to be that proportion of intellectual artists who would be disgusted by my work because it's just too entertaining and it's not challenging enough but i think that you know there needs to be a fine line between like entertainment and art 
you know, because there needs to be a connection to people. Like, so, you know, I listened to this amazing talk by an artist named Anish Kapoor. You know Anish Kapoor? Mm-mm. Are you familiar with that big silver jelly bean in Chicago? Oh, yes, yes, yes. It's called Cloud Gate. One of the most phenomenal pieces of public art ever made, you know. I think, you know, this thing costs millions of dollars to create. It took years. It's a fascinating case study, but the artist himself did not like the work in the end. And really? Why? He talks about it being too entertaining. Hmm. And I'm like, dude, what the fuck? Like, let it be entertaining. It's okay. And he's like, you know, it falls into this, like, entertainment world. So, like, you, you're teetering on the edge of, like, theme park. Yeah. Like, let's call it Disney World. Like, Disney World, for me, used to be, like, a form of criticism. It was like, you don't want to be, you don't want it to be too Disney World, right? Until you fucking go to Disney World. I don't know if you've ever been. But, like, I went for my first time. Last year, I think at the uh, middle of last year, I think we did EDC Orlando. When I was there, I was like, let's go check out Disney World Orlando. When you go there and, you know, and you watch the Imagineering story, you're like suddenly have a new perspective of what's actually going on there. It's, it's in this insane level of like creativity that like filters into like so many aspects of, of human innovation, you know, architecture, design, engineering interactivity, emotions, like, it's just, like, go see Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at Disney World and tell me you, like, aren't witnessing some, like, extremely profound level of, like, human ingenuity. Like, it's just beyond amazing. So, like, to to, to think of that as a criticism is an absolute joke, but uh, because it would be the highest form of, like, compliment, you know, if, if, if you were to ever say that. But there's an interesting dialogue that I have with myself is, like, Let's create something that is emotionally profound as well as entertaining, as well as some, you know, that has that has an emotional depth to it or, you know, and that and that anyone can connect to. So I think there's that is 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 a big part of it. So like the exclusivity of the art world, and now that there's these, there's these other things that anyone can anyone can relate to. There's a part of it that's free. They're like, you don't have to pay to experience these artworks. I mean, if you've bought a ticket to the festival or you are living in the city or you've gone to Tulum, those you don't have to pay money to go and experience them. So, like, there's that, where it's, you know, and that's a huge thing, I think, uh, because they're accessible. It's like the man on the street is, like, walking past this thing, you know. And then, and then let's not deny a large part of it as this, you know, Instagram selfie culture that's coincided with my career. Um, because I just want to try and imagine what kind of career I would have without it. Like, I started doing these things before Instagram. And, you know, that piece reflection I did at Afriburn, there was no Instagram. No one was no one was at taking photos with their phones. That, like, just wasn't a part of the thing, right? Whereas that's almost an element of, like, you know, my brief now. It's like, how is this going to look? Do you, do you build for Instagram when you're conceptualizing a project, like imagining where someone might stand on their Instagram photo? Now, absolutely. Well, it's part of the brief, you know. It's a reason why architects have suddenly become interested in having something like this as part of their building because it's going to be something that people take photos of. It's free marketing and it's I'm now aware that it's going to happen. So it definitely must be something to think about. But it is annoying. 
because it becomes, it's now like, it, 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 I have to try and move clients' heads out of what they already know, you know, because now they, they're seeing the picture of the person standing in front of the sculpture. And so also like this, you know, it's figure opening its chest, you know, it's, I get, well, this is the request. I want this gateway, it's opening this, I'm like, it's not the only way to think about it, you know. So like designing sculptures now that you can walk around and then you can walk through, like, you know, you know, interact with in different ways. But it's it's not all about the, the the photograph, but it is certainly an element of it. So to deny that it would be stupid, you know, it's like, you know, you have to think about how this is going to look with people photographing themselves in front of it. And there's portion of that that is this narcissistic Instagram culture, for sure. But then there's also a portion of it that's not, you know, and I see people going up to these works and not taking photos. I see people just... It, it, enjoying them, being inspired by them, taking their kids, getting, you know, getting getting their kids' imaginations, you know. So there's like, there's this whole other side to it. So it's awesome, whatever it is. I was like a bit freaked out. Like when I saw the line in Tulum, I was like, oh, what the hell has happened here? Like this, this was, it was never the intention, you know. Uh, is a line to take a photo at, at, your, at your pieces in Tulum? Dude, the line goes like down the block. It's insane. Like every day. So, like, you know, people get upset because they go to Tulum to want to get this photo, and then they get there, and there's this fucking line down the road. To like, it's crazy. I actually posted it on my on my Instagram the other day, like a, a video of this thing. I, I can send send it to you. It's crazy. It's it's cool. It's cool. But it is. Well, I was I was a, for a minute. I was just like, wow. Uh, okay, what's what? like? What is what's trying to analyze what's going on here? But regardless of what's going on, there's 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 a, a mixed bag of humanity in that line you know there's people of every walk of life i mean there's there's local mayans there that bring in their families um little kids dressed up getting their like birthday photographs there's supermodels and there's instagram influencers and there's like gym guys you know these like fitness instagram people i mean there's Fruit salad of humanity taking photographs of that piece. It's awesome to see. <laughs> well, and you know, there's lines at Disneyland too, man. Yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a mark of success. Okay, so, you know, you were talking about how a client wants to have the pulled open chest thing. And you're like, hey, there's more than one way to do that. Let me try something else. So that's something that I've really appreciated in your work is that you are continuing to evolve. And one of the things that I really like is that you've been experimenting with new mediums. So when I saw the piece you did at Modem in 2019, I was like, wait a minute, Daniel doesn't do... Daniel does wood. He doesn't do that. And then you know, there's the first instinct of like, wait, he doesn't do that. And then immediately, like, oh, but it's still, it's it's still very much his piece. Like the way the face is kind of coming off. So I love the fact that you're evolving your relationship to medium. What are you wanting to experiment with next? What are what are some of the things that you want to be building out of now that you've kind of explored with some concrete and some fiberglass? What what's next? Bronze. Bronze is next. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Tell me more. Is, is, yeah. is this going to be like an ancient Greek god bronze? Or like, what are we talking about with bronze? So, I'm, well, I'm looking at doing smaller works. So, like additions, um, just things for your home. So, like bronze and aluminum, they're like amazing materials to cast product. You know, to cast these art pieces in, they've got you know an intrinsic value to them and a heritage about them. So, you know, history. So, they're super rich materials. I've never worked with them before. Um, you can do a lot 
you can patina them, you can age them, you can polish them. So like there's a lot you can do that I'm, I'm excited about experimenting with. For this year, mostly working in concrete. Um, I've got an exhibition going up in Chicago and hopefully it'll be ready by April. Like, you know, there's certain factors, weather and stuff like that. But we're installing five pieces, five large scale works, and they're all mostly made out of concrete. Uh, is that throughout Chicago or is that in one location? No, no, it's, location? it's the, the Morton Arboretum. So it's like one of the biggest tree museums in the United States. This absolutely yeah. amazing opportunity to, to create artwork in, in beautiful landscapes. So it's going to be up. It's certainly going to be interesting to see how it's perceived. I, I don't know if you're familiar with an artist named Thomas Dambo. He creates those big trolls. Absolutely awesome artist. Makes these amazing trolls, you know. And he, he did the pieces uh, that have been up there for three years, very much capturing the imagination of children and uh, this like sort of troll hunt and this like fantasy space and just absolutely amazing. And these pieces that I'm going to be doing are nothing like that at all. So they're certainly not for everyone. And it's going to be interesting to see. It's a tree museum, right? So is it, is it, is it a large area of land outside that people can go walk around in? Yeah, How yeah. can so people check out like, the work? It's kind of like a botanical gardens in a way. So it's, it's called the Morton Arboretum. So there's trails and, and different groves of different trees and people go there to study trees. Do you think some of those trails are going to become long lines to Instagram your, your pieces? I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's a, I think it's a different different clientele there. You know, like when I was there looking at the site and whatever, like, you know, I saw like a group of like 25, like people over the age of like 65 years old, like, that were part of the Magnolia Society. I didn't even know something like that existed, but it's like a group of elderly people that study magnolia trees. Hmm. And they were like going on a guided tour to like study the magnolia trees of this in the Scot, you know. And so they're gonna come across one of these sculptures. I don't think I don't think they're gonna be standing in line to take selfies, but it'll be interesting to see how they react. <laughs> Oh, that's so cool. And then, so festivals aren't happening. I, I imagine you're pretty busy with work, though, anyway. What yeah, what else yeah. do you have lined up after the Chicago exhibition? Um, so we do. I'm doing some pieces up in Vegas and doing uh, some more work for the guys in South Florida and have quite an exciting project lined up in Joshua Tree as well. Ooh, what are you doing in Joshua Tree? I love yeah. Joshua Tree. That'd be a great landscape for you. Yeah, I can't wait. That's like that. I think it's my most favorite project of the year. Yeah. Can you can you give us a sneak peek about it at all or tell us anything about what you're doing there? To be honest, like we just sort of confirmed it like a week ago and I haven't even really started with it. But it is it the brief is let's design an entranceway into this sort of space that's going to become a, a retreat center, medicine center. And so this is going to be the sort of entrance, the sort of gateway into this space. So that's the brief. It's wide open. It's not going to be one of these. It's sort of much more open to interpretation. Um, the landscape itself is just so inspiring and it's got me thinking like in just super surreal, psychedelic imagery coming in. You know, so. Oh, so cool. Yeah. So cool. Okay, so just before we end, Daniel, I know we talked a little bit about advice to young artists and how to get how to get started. And you've given a lot of advice today about how to build large-scale installation art. I wonder if maybe we could end today with you speaking directly to aspiring young artists. Um, there's a lot of people out there who would love to make things like you make. There's people who really look up to you, look up to your work. If you could speak directly to aspiring young artists, what would you have to say to them? 
that's cool, you know, um, because, I, you know, I was once an aspiring young artist, I guess, and I was like, I would look at these sort of like elders, heroes, and I still look up to them. And, you know, those some of those guys I mentioned earlier, like, I just, you know, I'd love to have a chat to them and just, just pick their brains. Like, you know, what were your challenges? How did you do this? Like, you know, what, like, what, you know, how much does it cost? You know, like, what, like, what, what, how does it work? You know, I still, I'm still curious and I still want to chat to these guys. Some, when I was, young i would reach out to some people some people wouldn't reply at all some people would and i had mentors and guys who would be super generous of their spirits so like if anybody has anything they want to ask me drop me an email i'll i'll totally respond to you and and answer any of your questions because i know what it's like and um you know i think like you know the, the biggest thing was you know was is the overwhelming prospect of doing these things there's financial implications it's extremely expensive it requires a big team it requires a, lot, a shitload of things that a lot of people just you know when you're young you just you don't have those things right so you have to start somewhere you have to start small and and like the the creative journey is a snowballing effect you know so like if you if you don't start if you're just sitting down like sort of crippled by the prospect of like i could never do something like that then you're never gonna <laughs> so like you have to start somewhere you have to start small and find spaces and places that will give you the opportunities you know to do it that's great advice because i think so many people especially as we get older are like well it's too late you know it's like it's like bitcoin i should have done that earlier so i can't do it now but uh you know like get something started like for me with this podcast you know i'm I started a podcast and it's been growing and growing and and then I got another podcast and now we're working on another thing and so it really it really is about starting small and moving it forward so I appreciate that advice and I really appreciate you man I'm really I'm really proud of you it's you know we met a couple of years ago since we met you've had a child you've been your work's been popping up all over the place it's just been a real joy to to watch your career and it's lovely to get to talk to you today Thank you so much, man. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I remember I met you and I met my wife. So we've, you know, it's been an amazing journey and we have another little one on the way and just lots more exciting projects to come. You know? Awesome. Well, where can, where can people follow you? How can people check you out? I know your Instagram's a great place, but where are people, where should yeah. people look for your Instagram? Your my website is just, you know, it currently just went down and we're busy rebuilding it. So it's danielpopper.com and then my website and uh, my Instagram's the best, you know. And yeah, if you have any questions, just email me or hit me up through my Instagram. Awesome. Well, we'll have all of that in the show notes. And Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom today. I appreciate you, and I'm looking Thanks, forward you know. to seeing what you build in Joshua Tree, man. I love that yeah, place. Bro. And yeah, yeah. And if you ever can make it down to Chicago, I would say go check that that show. It's going to be awesome. Beautiful. And that's that's we're, that's planning to be mid April. It starts in mid April, and uh, hopefully, I think we the plan is for it to be up for three years. And it's the Morton Arboretum in Chicago. So if you ever there, beautiful. We'll put it all in the show notes. Thanks so much, Daniel. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Awesome, brother. You too, man. Thank you for joining us for Life is a Festival. If you like the show, you can support it by sharing it with your friends, following it on Spotify, or reviewing it on iTunes. If you'd like to get more involved, you can join our Facebook group, Life is a Festival, where we talk about the show and you can suggest new guests. If you really like the show and maybe want a little bit more, visit my digital tip jar at patreon slash lifeisafestival.com. Whatever you do, 
I hope today's podcast helped you make your life just a little bit more like a festival. And I'll see you on the dance floor.